What's up, brother? I'm doing pretty yeah. good. You're pretty good. Pretty damn good. I'm I'm, I'm astonishingly uh, good. I'm so good that every time I feel good, I double check because I was not so good recently, and I'm just like, wait a minute, what? This isn't right. It's hard to get over that stuff. I understand. Um, I feel so good. Yeah. I realize that our listeners don't know whether or not I'm wearing pants or not. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm You're gonna, wearing wrestling trunks. I, I'm gonna play this off as if I'm doing a uh, a work interview from the waist up. <laughs> See now, oh, that's even sillier. <laughs> we could. Uh, I love what Stephen King said about uh, about writing, that it's telepathy. Like whatever he's thinking in whatever year he wrote it, when you read it, you're you're imagining what he put out there. And even though it's a finished product where you have to, or it's a finished art form where the, the viewer or the reader has to finish it in their own mind, we all have a basic commonality of language that allows us to understand what, it, what they're trying to convey. So <clears throat> two things. What you just said, instantly, anybody who's listening to this would imagine you not wearing pants and doing the recording, and then doing an interview from the waist up and uh, we could just say we were wearing different stuff and people could imagine that and it'd be ridiculous and simultaneously just before we started uh, the recording you were talking about what was so good about Star Trek and uh, communication would you elaborate on that that is my and we've talked about it before and I'm going to talk about it again it's that one of my favorite actually my actual absolute favorite thing about Star Trek is that specifically next generation because i'm not too schooled on og stuff is that the the truth the truth of the matter is communication and they have a arsenal of people that are skilled in different forms of communication whether you are data that can understand millions of languages or whatever he can be programmed with uh troy that can understand people's uh, emotions and not just digest, but um, translate what they're feeling into something that is palpable and man not manipulative, but in the sense that you understand where they're coming from. So the chances that you can communicate even better are exponentially increased. Same thing with even uh, Jordy. Uh, we're talking sight on this one, where he can see things that you can't see and break it down even better. And... Uh, we, we've talked about it in Darmok, uh, one of the best episodes ever. Yeah, it's my favorite TNG episode. Is the, the, the whole point, whether you're excited or you put on a, a you know high end of suspense for what was going to happen to Picard, the, the whole point of it was that they had to figure out how to translate what these guys were talking about. 
and it took a lot of effort and the amount of effort they put into anything is just like anything else in life the work you put into it is what you get out of it and they've got all the hired guns the mercenaries and all of them are devoted to the enterprise and it is something that i'm already mourning ending even though picard's coming up because we're i just started season six and i've got basically a two seasons left before I got to get caught up with Discovery and Voyager and Enterprise as much as I can oh, to enjoy to okay. enjoy Picard. Well, to enjoy Picard as much as I can. I, I definitely hate losing on references, but it's so much fun because we're doing it together. So, but yeah, but thank you for asking well, me. Think about that. I mean, you know, I'm not going to say I've read all of the Watchmen content and I've seen the movie and uh, I've seen the first three episodes of this new show, and there's stuff I don't get. And I'm like, oh, I, I didn't realize that's who that was or whatever. And um, there's always going to be content that you can't know everything about going in. And you don't have to worry about missing out on references because, you know, yeah, we'll talk about it. And if you wonder, yeah, we'll just tell you. Or you can look it up. But I always hate that. Everybody's always just like, oh, well, why don't you just look that up? Because I want multiple opinions, you know? Hey, what's this thing under my dashboard? I guess I could look it up, but if someone, if I post that, you know, yeah, everybody automatically makes you seem like a dummy. But right, somebody's going to say, that's a fuse panel. But what's really cool is that that was a fuse panel from blah, blah, blah until this time. And then after that, it was this time. And you could, like, do something different with it. Or you could add something. I was like, oh, cool. So now I can do this. You know, you get these wacky answers from people. And I don't know. I appreciate that that's the communication instead of just taking care of everything for yourself. Well, that's what why why I feel that this is so much fun is that, uh, you know, I always I watch it beforehand. And then you and I get into it in terms of like you, you point out. Uh, minute, my, the minutia of what's going mm-hmm. on, whether if it's like prop design <laughs> or whether or not this guy was in this episode and this is important because of this. And then we, I, I've turned you around on episodes that you did not really appreciate. And I, oh yeah, we're get, we're getting ready to go into one that is not my favorite. Oh, this one, uh, I was not in the best of moods, and you usually will not find Joshua Michael in a grumpy mood, but I was pretty grumpy on, uh, on. Uh, Sunday and got into about four episodes of uh, TNG and got a healthy dose of data and data episodes are by yeah. far my favorite. So let's have some fun. Uh, which What are we doing yeah. today? What are we doing today? This one is Time Zero Part 1. We This is the last episode of Season 5 and uh, Part 2 is the beginning of Season 6. Um, I don't dislike this, this two-parter. It's just... For some reason, it isn't enough to me. And I'll explain why at the end. Um, more Because there are specific reasons, but more so, it just doesn't feel like it's uh, grand enough to be a season-ending, a season-opening season situation. I can turn that um, around for you. Yeah, I bet you can. And that's, that's the crazy thing. There are definitely episodes that you like that I am like, no, I don't like that episode. And then... We talk about it, but we haven't. We've decided that ultimately we're going to go in and we're going to do a Star Trek Next Generation. We're going to do a recording for each episode, and then 
um, <clears throat> when we have Patreon support, we will uh, probably redo the episodes we have done and uh, try to add heavier duty content to it. Um, we're not doing that because we're like, oh gosh, you know, we gotta make money off. We, you know, nobody, nobody's allowed to make money off of Star Trek. That's it. But um, this is good stuff, man. It. I would have loved to have had this sort of thing to rewatch it uh, with this oh, uh, with my headphones on on a lonely Friday night on the the nights when uh, I was talking to a friend's um, friend today about um, what it's like to be lonely and Ooh. that it hurts to be the bigger person and sometimes you do it alone and it hurts but Damn. yes but you come out clean in the end you come out clean in the end and you come out a bigger person and you've grown from it but that's what uh, another weird thing about lonely sci-fi nights <laughs> wishing you had your scully as your molder or you're wait, waiting for your molder as, your, as the scully or vice versa you know it's it's just all good storytelling, and that's one of the best things in life. So we are doing yeah, Times Arrow Part One, Season Five, Episode Twenty Six. We're watching this on Netflix, like we always say, because it's way more high depth than it is on Hulu. Um, let us know, Colin and Josh at MindfieldsComicsPodcast dot com. Uh, we'd love to hear any input you have, whether we got something right, something wrong, you loved it, you hated it. Just let us know, uh, even if you just want a shout out. Yeah, and uh, just keep in mind that um, uh, we're not watching. We're not. We're, we're not uh, doing this as a broadcast. This is a. Uh, this is a commentary track that you can watch if you've seen it already. You know, you can turn the sound down or down off or whatever. But we're not trying to broadcast any content. So uh, you're you're you know you're right. This is better done if you've seen the episode. You're right. We've been calling them simulcast, but this is really just like uh, this was left out of the DVD commentary. <laughs> yeah, yeah they weren't calling me for the for the dvd commentary in like yeah. what 98 or yeah. something like that right whenever they switch formats before right, you we're gonna do this before so, we uh, before we start it we've had it on zero 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 make sure to refresh because mm -hmm. you know this thing act up i got mine refreshed let me know when you got it refreshed and we are oh, going to, to refresh it we are going to go on one two three engage and when you are ready send us home I'm still refreshing. It's being a jerk. Okay, zero, zero, zero. Here we go. If everybody's ready, and you know you guys can pause and then uh, come back. So we'll give you a second. And three, two, one, engage. Beautiful already. Oh, I know, man. That's ah, This high-def crispness is so, so perfect. It's silky. Okay, I so I never understand the white flag. I know there's something on it, but the white flag at Starfleet headquarters, I mean, it just doesn't suit this. I don't know why it's not a UFP flag. And I, I feel like if they were doing this now, they would have like edited something in in post. Maybe it was something to reflect that the white in general reflects the entire spectrum of the rainbow. I don't know. Yeah. Now, Ooh. everything is. Everything is a, a clue. A problem. Yeah. That, Everything's that, a clue. That firearm is not a double action. That's a single action firearm for anybody that's into revolvers. Oh. And for anyone that is interested, Data is obviously hungover. You can see that uh, alcoholic bloat. 
<laughs> so these researchers' outfits, this guy, he's wearing a researcher outfit. That's basically what they were called. So when you um when you see anybody in this series wearing that, that's just this standard issue kind of nondescript uniform, but it is a uniform. And I it's just kind of weird to think of people like that. There were always uh distressed versions of that in the Star Trek costume collection because they were always rescuing somebody wearing those from some, you know, uh Oberth class ship or from some colony. <clears throat> anyway, so clearly in this episode, if you you know you've seen it already, we're we're in San Francisco in the 24th century, and it's kind of amazing to get recalled back to Earth for some reason. Yeah, especially but for it, this specific reason. Yeah, it totally... This is bewildering. I'll go full screen. The Lost Data Head. Yeah. That's pretty good for those times. Now, uh... That's the second time we've seen that head prop. Now, I, I do want to point out, guys, this is a time travel episode... Uh, before you start exhaling in grumpiness, uh, this is not one of those awful time travel things where you really got to worry too much about whether or not any repercussions that they squish a, a moth or a mosquito is going to have a problem. This is a full-on Guinan episode, and I really got to stress that, uh, despite the fact that Data is like, pretty much the main character. Uh, this is going to solidify, and really truly solidified my love of Guinan. And you get to have some uh, a fun time travel episode without having to worry about those odd repercussions or a weird time loop that things get convoluted and what just happened. I don't know. Like we're gonna have yeah. some. We're gonna have some fun. Uh, I, go ahead. Uh, no, yeah, it's, it's it's interesting getting it because I'm taking your perspective as a guy who's watching this at your age, and I've just met another guy on this uh, movie that I'm working on who is. Uh, He's got to be in his early 20s, and he's not, he's only watching Star Trek for the first time, and he's about caught up to this point. And um, I just think it's fascinating for to run into another dude like that. And as a guy his age, he's go. He said he couldn't believe how much Guinan is in the series. How much? How many times Whoopi Goldberg makes an appearance? Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I find that fascinating, just because an age difference, you don't know. You simply if don't. You're just watching it and you're binging it. Yeah, you don't. You got to get out. You got to talk to other Star Trek fans, or you find that secret fan and have a whole conversation with them about it. You have any uh, insight on why it's called Times Arrow? Um, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I bet it will be revealed um, somehow or another. I guess it's the uh, the idea that if you fired Times Arrow or you don't really fire an arrow when you if you let loose time zero it moves in a more or less uh uniform direction until it is brought down by gravity the the only uh plot hole i found in this was that they didn't try to activate the head right away there might not have been any no there's power i don't know i'm not really reading the i'm not really reading the uh uh, closed captions as much as we are yapping and chatting, but um, I don't recall that either. I feel like that's a huge, huge waste right there. Yeah. Every time Data's head's been blown off in the past, he's uh, had a whole 
capability of conversation. One of my favorite parts about this episode is how much it makes uh, Data's humanism more and more apparent. And I love that he that he questions things and a little bit uh, when like uh, everyone keeps stopping conversation when I walk in. Is there a problem? And and they level with him and they, they let him know uh, that uh, again back to communication. How many times have you been in a room or someone stopped talking when you got there? But he sweetly asked it in the right way and got the correct yeah. answer. Well, even more, I mean, this also depicts how inhuman he is because when you if dude, if you saw your own head anywhere, let alone you brought it someplace and set it on a box. I mean, holy crap. How much would that affect you? Data is the only person who could find his own head and not be a total wreck about it you know right right and and that brings me to one of my favorite points about this particular episode is that it sets everyone real on edge because they know that that is actually data's head and they're they're not upset that they found data's head it added an extra layer of mortality to what they're having to deal with all of them know that data is always going to be there data is pretty much uh, in in their mind because we haven't had any trouble where data's ever been in a situation where he didn't get out of or think his way out of that he's going to die one day or may or may not and that simple thing seeing the death of data is making all of them realize their own mortality and it's putting them completely <laughs> on edge that's what this uh, this conversation is all about. My, I love that data. You know, do you want to talk about it? I don't need to. Do you need to talk about it, <laughs> Jordy? Yeah, I need to talk about it. Until now, it's been theoretically possible that he would live forever. Is more or less what he's saying here. They did. They did uh, mention a bit earlier, or, or, or maybe later on in the episode. I'm not too sure because uh, we've been yapping, but that his cells are going to degenerate but oh ultimately i mean everything that's the i love there's a there's a there's a line in a song i really really like uh it's by the servant and um it's called cells and it is the first track on their album the servant it came out in like 1994 95 and um in that song he's 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 got a bridge and he breaks it down and he says the cells i am at the moment will soon die but i will be here made me think of a placebo special needs remember me when you're yeah, yeah it, but even then data had to realize that he he hadn't really thought about it like what are you gonna do when we all die and he's like well you know I'll eventually make more friends and then outlive them and then and then the look oh, wow, the, yeah. the look on his face and here here we go guinan oh Mm-hmm. Guinan realizing that this is happening and how do I make this happen? Ooh. What what a, an amazing uh, plot device and, and second off, as a character or, or someone that is actually physically involved in this and integral to the story, what do I do to make sure everything goes completely, absolutely according to plan? Because she knows that she has not been able to tell Picard because she the, they mentioned a bit that they've met twice for the first time. And she's got to make sure that she doesn't do anything that displaces anything that is about to happen. Yeah, I don't remember that little sequence with Guinan from all the times I've seen this. And uh, it's kind of interesting because she said, is that why the Enterprise is being sent back to Earth? 
They yeah. were already there. They were just there. So I wonder if that bit was written, uh, obviously filmed out of order, but I wonder if that bit was written out of order or they were trying to create a cold open mm -hmm. where they got a message and they're racing back to Earth and then they're having that conversation. Um, so it was just an odd little continuity flaw right there that had a little bit more to do with editing or... Uh, it just the script supervisor would have caught that if that's the way they meant to do it. We just missed a amazing smile from Riker just watching Troy be Troy. Oh, Riker, yeah. <clears throat> now, interrupted conversation. Now, this I, I wish people would do this more often. Just like, hey, what what just happened? Did did I walk into something I, I need to know? And you know, without tell me what's going on. He's not worried about gossip. He's just. He's just more concerned about his compatriots. <laughs> and and we've got Troy. We've got Troy who needs who knows that they need to tell the truth, and we've got Riker who knows he's got to be the politician. Yeah, dude. That what was? Oh man, I'll I'll have to think on it. But there was that. That whole conversation that we talked about recently between Riker and Data in a much previous episode. and You're right, yeah. Riker is just one of those amazing characters that you can go to and ask him something. And mm -hmm. he's probably going to give you the most human answer. Yeah. Now, we, oh, now they just responded to Data uh, where, you know, your absence will be missed um in the way he would describe it and this is just adding more and more to the clout that he needs to be able to succeed in his mission that he does not know is actually a mission what's well, kind of amazing to think that you've got a starfleet crew person who is so interesting and so whoa is that outside my room yeah there's a apparently somebody in one of their big dumb diesel trucks. That sounds off. like more of a motorcycle. Yeah, whatever. It's all posturing. What a beautiful frame-up. Look at that. Getting it's perfect. Worf just... Oh, that is gorgeous cinematography right there. Yep. Man. Um, yeah, people always talk about cinematography and they don't know what that word means. That's it right there. Frame the shot. Frame the shot. Man. In the in an exciting yeah. way, just like uh, drawing comics. You can't just draw Superman in the middle of the frame uh, flying. You have to do it in an exciting way. Uh, now, here's another human point of data, is that they he's supposed to go with them on the away team, and he is feeling left out. And yeah. he, that, that's not what he's computing it as, but he's still feeling the same thing that we feel. You were supposed to take me. What's going on? Yeah, but why would he not... I get his perspective, but I don't get Captain Picard necessarily, outside of the fact that, um, <clears throat> you know, hey, we found Data's head on Earth. There, there's no reason to think that uh, now any danger would befall him on Davidia too. This is classic time travel storytelling. Uh, you're trying to avoid what is supposed to happen, and yeah. avoiding it makes it happen. And... He's feeling the same thing everyone else is feeling. He doesn't want to lose data. Period. Yeah. Uh, and and not just as one of the most integral members of his crew, but he's he doesn't want to lose a friend. Now, this is something that we have to save for later after we talk about this about the vibrations because this is something that just keeps happening more happening 
in our uh, explorations in sci-fi and research into comic books and literature is the vibrations. Now, that you could vibrate your way just like uh, the Flash. Uh, it, it's sure. it's not really running your way to the future. It's vibrating your way to the right frequency where you can vibrate your way if you can concentrate hard enough. Uh, eventually, we'll figure it out to walk through walls. Well, I don't know if it's so much vibration as it is being able to alter the um, static condition of your molecules in such a way as to make them not come into contact with all of the other molecules that you would be trying to Precisely. rush past. That's like, no, no, like in, in, in thinking about it, you completely agreed with what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Now, another thing here, they're about to start describing... Uh, uh, alien life forms almost in the way uh we describe little gray men and but they surpassed it with even better alien uh formology that's even a word or, or physiology uh, great practical effects and it's funny because you never really get to see them in their full alien form and just in the odd vibrations <laughs> i've seen them of course you have i've seen those costumes they were giant they were molded uh foam rubber for the most part and they were all um it's not chroma key necessarily maybe it is but uh, i don't want to misuse them you hear about blue screen they were blue screen they had no color um they had no paint they were just blue this is and uh this is the see them in a minute sorry i I got excited this is the same set when um right um Picard and Wesley Crusher got lost and marooned oh, yeah. on that planet. Final mission. Yeah, this is that same set. Yes! I'm getting better. <laughs> I got a sneeze coming, everybody. Go for it. <coughs> Bless you. It was a very dry, very dusty day at work, and I, I haven't had a minute to do anything with it. Um, the data thing. What were we getting at a minute ago? I want to I want to get back to that. Oh, the head. Why not just send the head down and figure out how to use the head, but it's integral to the story. It's just fascinating to me that these aliens can open up a gateway from their planet to Earth through time somehow. I don't know how that makes any sense. That's a really good point. I think that's one of my beefs with the whole episode. Yeah, why not just uh, kidnap like 500 humans and then just keep them alive and torture them and, and just keep sucking the life out of them and then rejuvenate them the way they did in Old Man Logan or Dead Man Logan where they just the cannibals had uh, Wolverine and they just let him heal, yeah. they'd carve him up, eat him, wait for him to heal, do it over and over. You wouldn't have to just keep killing these people, just suck enough out. I'm trying to recall, I know we've seen that prop before. And it kind of bothers me that we saw components of that prop in the past, and yet Data didn't immediately recognize those components because I know he's capable of that. Correct. And okay, now that that I, now that we see that prop, I realize that's what he's building in his hotel room. <laughs> yeah, is a phase discriminator or something? Yeah, but they didn't really describe it. I'm like, what is he building? It. it I didn't realize that's what he was trying to build. So listening to Captain or watching Captain Picard listen to Data experience this thing is frustrating because 
We go back to that episode where Jory was capable of showing everybody what was going on to a degree. And then they never decided to do that again. Like, why are they not wearing cameras like the Colonial Marines and aliens uh, so that anybody back at headquarters or on the ship can see what's going on? Maybe it was but, some. Maybe it was something that would uh, kind of like slow the pace down. It could have been, you know, watching the view screen. Then you get all these dumb shots of people watching the view screen and reacting to it, like in Star Trek V or uh, whatever, which you know technically takes place almost a hundred years before this. It just I think it was one of those creative decisions they made, and. Uh, they were like, no, we don't want to mess with that. Well, especially because there's not really, as of right now, they don't know there's really any time constraints that they're really working on. They're they're really just exploring. I'm surprised that Jordy didn't try to figure out some way to tether data uh, in, in some shape or form. Uh, to at least try to tether him to, to have a, some breadcrumbs at the very least. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's his best friend. There's that zapped thing. I never, I never encountered that prop. Sometimes you'd find a prop and it was busted into pieces or, and you'd, you'd find something and go, oh man, I, this looks familiar, but I don't know what it is. And uh, <laughs> He's I'm a- fascinated by that stonework on the ground. It almost looks painted. He's in his PJs. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh Every time, like, I've gotten to the point that I think about Star Trek so much that when uh, I get up from my chair, I straighten my shirt just like Picard. <laughs> yeah. I wonder what set I was that talking, is. You know, my buddy, uh, my new buddy from this job, he, um, he said that he found himself standing at parade rest a lot more since he'd watched Star Trek. A Frenchman. <laughs> I'm a Frenchman. <laughs> that is awesome. That is really funny. Oh, live horses on set. The stray newspaper. <laughs> that's a really good... Um, that's a really good quality of paper. But... As a man, I'm t- I'm sorry. You know, I know how expensive each of these episodes are, and I know what it costs to put all this work in. I'm just not seeing all of the appropriate um, layers to make this place look truly, truly authentic. And I think the thing that bothers me is it just isn't dirty enough. That's a that's a good point, but even then, like it's still pretty new. Uh, it's not like this was like a hundred years old, like the city itself. But you're not like uh, a mason where you're looking at things like that bricklaying oh, pattern is clearly from the 1950s. <laughs> that happens all the time. Look at this guy overacting in the background; just ridiculous. Please hire me. I've got my head shot. <laughs> Nah, I think it was just a matter of trying to make people look diseased and uncomfortable. And I always think about people from the past and wonder how dehydrated they must have been all of the time. When you're drinking something 
constantly that is uh, um, alcoholic yeah. for one reason or another, or mainly because it was clean enough to drink. It just begs the question of like, how often were people just hung over and feeling like crap? Simpsons quote. How did anyone survive allergies like I've got, you know? Simpsons quote. In Springfield, we get a little saying. If it's brown, drink it down. If it's black, send it back. <laughs> <laughs> I love this guy. Oh, yeah. Is that, did you say that was Jack London? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, the, uh, uh, probably the one, I'm a Frenchman. <laughs> That's all he had to say. Mm, the signage is all very charming, though. Oh, I like the addition of a palm tree in the background. However, <laughs> I would like to say, and I could be completely wrong, that if I were, and I'm not trying to nitpick Star Trek, I absolutely adore Star Trek. Well, it's still San Francisco. It is San Francisco, but I don't. I, I I remember having conversations with people about palm trees in California having been imported there. Um, and, uh, <laughs> you keep going. <laughs> I mean, that's what I've got. I I think that it is anachronistic of them right. to have uh, palm trees in this time period. You gotta let me now. Hear. This fella, you, you hold on on the right. Hold on, you're gonna see. That's Mark Alemo. <laughs> Not this gentleman. Not that guy. Go to blazes. I'm going to say that to somebody. Oh my god, Mark Alemo's hair. Wow, what a dapper Lando Calrissian. So mad. Okay, Mark Alemo is the very first Cardassian we ever see. Really? He goes on to play Gul Dukat, the primary antagonist of Deep Space Nine. I'm a Frenchman. He just spits out this massive stuff. Awesome. <laughs> his, his expression. The, 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 the look at his face earlier when he's like poker. <laughs> like, like it was like yeah. it, it was like just so kismet that they're like that's how they built it up. Like, like he was so good at poker. Yeah. Now, okay, so one of the best parts of the scene in the first place is that, like I said, they it's like as if they fixed it to where he was good at poker <laughs> just for this one scene for him to gain some uh uh what did he say yeah. earlier i i have no uh what do you mean when he was talking to the the bellhop he was talking to the uh the 49er oh okay tap Look at him, like, carefully executing, going as slow as he can to make sure he doesn't look... (laughs) (laughs) This is funny. Man, that is so out of character for him. Ah, dude. See, okay, this is my complaint, and I'm not seriously dissing anything. I think about how anyone had... how anyone could wash in this time period, and I always think about how uncomfortably (laughs) jocular region (laughs) sorry (laughs) i always think about how uncomfortably unclean i feel at the end of a day of labor yeah and like people are just coming in and going to bed off of that yeah 
and like how messy and gross linens would be, let alone you're not, you know, you go into you go into these horrible houses and you see just scum and grotesquerie all over light switches and doorknobs. And I get it, yeah, they didn't have light switches in this in this uh time period necessarily, but all of those little additions to make things appropriately just dirty go so far when you're when you're dressing a set when you're scenicking yeah and i don't think there's enough time when you've got a weekly tv series clearly there is an enormous amount of work that went into making these sets and i appreciate it because these are sets those are all wild those are, those are all uh very typical walls and um I don't know. It's just too clean. That's my bitch. I guess, it's too clean. I guess. So I will say the uh, the grip work right there in shaping the light to make that uh, to make the light on the wall in the background look appropriate. That's really good. Wow. I love, <clears throat> I love how generous he's with his money. Yeah. Keep the change. Done. Well, that's rad because it means that guy's gonna go out there and shop for yeah, it. Yeah, for that's sure. Jack London. We yeah, know that. Jack London. So. He's going to go out there and shop for it all, and anything he can't get for as cheap as he can get it is going to it's going to line his take pockets. Some of his uh, yeah, it's going to take yeah. some of his uh, post, you know. Yeah, but he's a hustler. That's the best part about it. Like in yeah. in uh, Camp, uh, uh, Ninth Gate, there's nothing more admirable than a man that can be bought for the top dollar. Mm. You're a mercenary. And that's what he is. And I love how he's figuring things out and they just pepper it with... And it's funny how they introduce... Uh, we'll talk about this later. Um, one writer with another writer as the uh, like the go-to uh, gopher. Oh, yeah, right. All right, so they just sucked his energy out. At least he was still drunk. they didn't chafe his buzz (laughs) it's not like he it's not like he woke up and like 30 minutes all pissed off because someone gave him some narcan (laughs) like i paid good money for that whiskey (laughs) wow Riker was uh particularly being a little bit over the top here he's dude they're all on edge data's gone no i dig but like you don't yell at captain picard Everybody there is definitely thinking about what they can do, what's the best thing they can do. You took that as you took that as yelling. I would take that as uh, Picard translating that in his head as passion that we have to figure this out, not yelling at Picard and and dismissing it as easily as you know, not worrying about being disrespected. Okay, well, I mean, I'm not watching it with the sound cranked or anything. I appreciate you saying that because I got snapped at for a while recently for being excited, and I'm like, I'm not yelling. I'm very, I'm. You're, I'm you're passionate. About yeah, this. you're passionate. Yeah. There's a difference. Translate. Learn my language. Watch Star Trek. <laughs> God, his posture is always so perfect. Beautiful rhinestone. Yeah, the posture is just amazing. These are sharp-looking people, you know? 
God, he's always just ready to die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's always just ready to die for the most... Riker almost just like... Okay. Okay. Rolling his eyes or something. Here is something important. I'm, I'm really going to get this. So this is Guinan. She's not... Okay, she's... She's concocting the best drink of how it can explode on your senses and how it has to be perfect. This is her mental exercise of how she's figuring out to translate to Picard right now that this has to happen. And this intricate chemistry set to make just a drink is her form of meditation and thought. Now, second off, you have to realize the important. He says, I have never, you know, you could have just come down here Um there's an importance that she summoned him. Have you ever seen that happen where Picard come to my place? No, I got to go to your place. And that was one of the key ingredients to her concoction of letting him know what has to happen has to happen. And you better freaking listen to me. And the, the, just the, the whole clout. And he still showed up. Yeah. Are you going... And now we get the 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 juicy bit of a this is the the bread and salad before the before the steak and surf and turf. That's fascinating, though. I mean, you know, they didn't write it this way, but this rewrites Guinan. Period. It totally does. Guinan came onto the show at the beginning of season two, and she had the entire Borg incident in the Delta Quadrant with them because of Q. She had the entire Borg incident with Captain Picard. You are so right. The, oh my god. How many things did Guinan just let go? You are... And you, now, this would wreck my my relationship with her. Knowing what's going to happen in this episode. Because... But... I, would, I know what's going to happen. And if I looked at her at the end of it and I was like... You let me get assimilated by the Borg, and you let ten thousand people die. Yeah. And you let forty nine starships get destroyed, and you let this happen and that happen. The one thing she didn't have anything to do with necessarily was Tasha Yar. But it's very Back to the Future because I want to know how Marty and Doc met, and like why. And then it's it's the same thing. This is the Marty and Do- whoa, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that Sorry, was I, that, that was heavy. Uh, <laughs> that, that came <laughs> that uh, but that that totally stole my thunder. Real quick, back to your point. This episode took Guinan from being a passenger to being a full-on engaging uh, member yeah. that you have to fear. And if she calls on you, you better freaking listen. Well, they already kind of did that in yesterday's Enterprise, too, because... Not like this. Even though she had no business being on the Enterprise in yesterday's Enterprise, at least Battleship Enterprise from the uh, unfortunate uh, Klingon War uh, reality. Nevertheless, it's like... She definitely made her point clear. Very clear. (laughs) we've met twice you just don't know it and if you don't go uh it'll never happen neither of them (laughs) 
You have a ship? What, what sort of ship did he think this fucking Bell app would have? <laughs> <laughs> he's got a he's got a twelve foot dinghy. <laughs> Another uh, Simpsons uh, Johnny Carson. Yeah, today uh, Boy George was arrested for scraping the barnacles off his dinghy. <laughs> <laughs> what do you say? Let's do business. Yes. Data could have come in and been a... Man, he could be any number of amazing things in this time period if he wanted to exploit it. I mean, the incredible amount of material that he already knows. I know. I mean, he won everything from poker. He obviously could have seduced a bunch of women and gone straight into prostitution. <laughs> yes. Oh man, my heart felt right out of my ass when I saw that. That was when I was hooked on this episode. Now, uh, this particular gentleman, I gotta pull it up on IMDb. This guy is who played... The guy playing Mark Twain, Samuel Clemens, is who played Deep Throat in the X-Files. Yeah, I can see the I can see that that actor's face without uh, without all this makeup on. No, I was watching it and I called my mom in the room like, "Do you recognize this guy?" And she's like, "Oh, that's that's the guy from the X Files." I can almost hear the voice, even though he's putting on a very, you know, Mark Twain voice. Now, uh, one of the things that we need to point out before we get to it in uh, episode uh, the the second part of this is that Mark Twain was born on, uh, during Haley's comet and he prophesized that he was going to die on the return, which came true. Oh my gosh. Now, uh, uh, one thing as a reporter myself is the fact that he's chasing a story and that truth. Now he may come off as a really, uh, annoying character in this, but he is truly, He's in this for the safety of mankind. When he realizes that these guys are time travelers and he's worried about his own species and he takes it in his own hands to do that. And he goes on a fantastic journey. I mean, things, totally true. things definitely panned out for the best, but if, you know, obviously if you're watching this, you know what happens, but... He he had the guts. He had the ganas. He he was truly concerned, and he wasn't too obtuse that you couldn't dissuade him from what he was seeing. He he just wants what's best for his fellow man, and that's one of my favorite things about Mark Twain's literature. Is even as a child, I could understand that he wanted what's best for his fellow man. The the archetypes that he integrated into his stories. An oyster. I like her Everybody posturing here. Surprised by this conversation. I know. Yeah, it, her it posturing. Her uh, obvious understanding. She's she's telling a, an ape that chocolate is good. <laughs> like, just just <laughs> just think about it. 
She's teasing him. She wants to tell him, but she can't. And this is how she tells him. In great language, if you can translate. It's interesting to think Tell me. that Guinan went from probably, you know, young Guinan, that is. How old do you think she is here? From probably, oh, she's 300-ish. She may, she may have gone from, oh, you know, I'm going to be on this planet and I'm just going to insinuate myself in there and do what I want to do and whatever and maybe I'll make a name for myself to probably this incident and then she decided, no, I'm going to stay low key and uh, hide out amongst the people who look like me. And he's breaking into a party demanding to see Oprah. <laughs> Yeah. Guinan. Oh, his. <sighs> oh, I love this part. Data. He. Th oh, yeah. He thinks that he thinks that she was displaced with him. It's a starship. Oh, man. Yeah, this uh, is a great moment, actually. I really do appreciate this moment. This is a standout, standout part of this episode, I think. Standout performance, because he, he smelt a story. Yeah, yeah. He, he smelt it, and then she wasn't too stupid to know, like, uh, I gotta figure something out. Oh, her family's still alive. That makes it... Is she even older now? Considering of when the, the, the Borg destroyed her... The Borg assimilated her people in the Delta Quadrant some time ago. Yeah, but if her father's still alive, then... Good point, yeah. Oh, you know what? She's on a mission. She said, so, I'm not done listening. Yeah, so she might not know yet. Think of the, I mean, gosh, think of this woman coming to this world and living in this country where racism is so prevalent. Good point. And here we go, Mr. Samuel Clemens. But you're right, even then, like, back to, like, uh, cleanliness, I mean, like, how hot is it in your three-piece suit? Well, San Francisco isn't notoriously hot, but yeah, I dig what you're saying. Even like 75 degrees and full-on wool. For real, I mean, most of the Civil War was fought in wool. Mm, that fog is a little saucy. That's way too saucy. So, okay, these pattern enhancers. Um, they had smaller ones also. And they operated on the same concept. I think it was a bunch of C cells inside there, or D cells. I don't remember. But they were in these little tri-containers. Uh, we're talking about batteries, of course. And the little legs pop out. Those, and they were all made out of like uh, machined aluminum. Just brilliant, beautiful props. 
we did, I definitely sold one set of those things as a complete group. <clears throat> yeah. See, okay, the beef I have with a two-parter is there's, they're not making any effort to make us feel like we are gearing up for the end of an episode. And so when you get to the Deep Space Nine two-parters, like the Maquis or um, the... Um... Well, we, oh, I, 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 think you're, I think you're overthinking it here, man. This was like 92. Like, we hadn't had any, like, X-Files-esque, like, end of the world, this is all over cliffhangers yet on a regular serial. Dude, we had Captain Picard assimilated by the board. Well, I mean, like, that was one thing, but why not give them a cliffhanger when they weren't expecting it? I mean, this is just expert writing here. Uh, I, I might be looking too much into it. Maybe this is all they had. <laughs> um, but even then, um, we can theorize. Okay, so those are the costumes I was talking about. Right. And you said they were really big? Oh, yeah. I mean, they're as big as, you know, these. you could put a person inside them. They had to move like this. I'm sorry. When you said big, I meant, uh, I thought you they were like maybe eight feet tall. Oh, no. I just mean that they are clunky. They were really difficult to, uh, to wield and manhandle. And clearly, everybody, you know, they had one or two of these, right? It's so that I know of, and so they reproduced them in multiples here. It's still great practical effects. Oh yeah, totally. It makes me think of Cocoon. I love that movie. I even like the sequel. I, I was thinking about that. I was one of those things I kind of want to show my son sometime. But mainly, it's because that James Horner music is just so lush. I actually like part two better than part one. Really. Huh. I love the kid in that. Was that the kid that played Bastion in The NeverEnding Story? Uh, I think so, and while you're doing that, I'm just going to look it up. <laughs> if I can yeah. remember how to spell Cocoon. C-O-C... I found it. C O C O O N, I think. Yep, Bastion. Bastion, yeah, that kid. Hey. Unfortunately... No, you know what? Bastion's doing okay. The kid that played Bastion is doing okay. No. The kid that played... Uh, E.T., um, the E.T. guy, DUI, a couple, couple weeks ago. Uh, the guy that yeah, played, I saw that. The guy that played Atreyu had a bit oh, of yeah. a rocky uh, teenage years, but now he's doing pretty well. He's doing okay now. Yeah. Okay, and then that dippy, like, little thing that the guy was carrying around, the alien was carrying around, we had that, too. Uh... Where's my disclaimer so I don't have a friggin' seizure? This was before that episode. Before Japanese kids would drink too much uh, energy drinks and. <laughs> well, I don't think they had energy drinks in uh, the '90s when that happened. We had Jolt. That Oregon episode of. Uh, well, yeah. If you're gonna qualify that as an energy drink. <laughs> <clears throat> Boy, Gene Roddenberry still alive. No, that being the case. We're, yeah, he's he's been gone for a while. It's just more of a, a Stan Lee credit, like the way they're always yes, gonna. But... 
Yeah, I think he'll probably be. The Stan Lee estate will in perpetuity continue to uh, accrue all kinds of awesome things. Yeah, I mean, that's that episode. Um, <clears throat> I, I just don't feel like it comes to any kind of a conclusion that feels like something major just happened. And, you know, I guess what I'm looking for is Not so much The Empire Strikes Back or The Matrix Reloaded, um, where it's just like, dun, 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 you know, we got a major thing we got to do in the next movie, and you know we got to go do it. It's, um, or even like, holy shit, Riker firing on the board cube and it not making any difference. Um, it just feels like this just leads right into the next episode. So, I don't know. It just didn't have that cliffhanger appeal to me. Well, since They all walk into a doorway at the end. Well, since you were watching it live when it happened, I can understand that. But even then... Well, even now, as a person who has, you know, tried valiantly to write stuff, looking at how I want to transition from one part of a story to the next or one episode of a story to the next, I've definitely... Never felt comfortable with this one. Somehow or another, Birthright Parts 1 and 2 goes a lot farther to me. Or, really, the whole Klingon Civil War story arc, Redemption Parts 1 and 2, are just... That is good stuff, because even at the end of the epi first episode, you're like... Okay, I feel like I watched a complete episode. It had a beginning, a middle, and an end. And this one just feels like it has a beginning, and a middle, and a middle, and a middle, and a middle, and then, oh my god, it's over. That's my that's my beef with it. Well, it. we haven't rewatched the second part yet, and we'll do that uh, for uh, next we'll do that Friday. Really, really soon, yeah. Next Friday, but um, I, I think it just really puts into uh, perspective that the writers are smart enough to know that they're writing to as many different people as they can, and they've got enough characters to focus on to really bring in like you might not have liked uh, inner light as much as most people have but then you get you know this story and it, it'll satiate you it, it, like it'll four issue episodes later you'll get one that really is like your real main cup of tea but they still challenge you in the other episodes and it's it's just it's just good writing and that's what we're all about. And I'm happy that they were daring enough to do such, such stories like this. Usually when they go any way back in time or show something that was something nostalgic, like where we see uh, Barclay, Scarlet Pimpernel, oh, yeah. I, I immediately turn oh, off. Was, uh, Cyrano de Borjak? Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I, I see that sort of stuff, and that's not my cup of tea. But I trust the writers through so many episodes to give me something I can uh, chew on, uh, or mm -hmm. skew on, or however you want to put it. It still challenges you to enjoy it, and, and still gives a broad perspective for people to enjoy Star Trek. Yeah, for real. You got, you got anything to take us home, man? Let's see... Honestly, I really appreciate, you know, sometimes I've always been a guy that could, could look at uh, different, um, different um, character actors and be able to see them from one to the next. I really appreciate you bringing up that that was Samuel Clemens. 
I don't. Or that Samuel Clemens was the guy from the X-Files, because now I can think of a half a dozen other places where I've seen him. And it's just the heavy makeup with the fuzziness on his face and all of that. He, he melts into that role. The only way I'd ever know that was based on his voice. And I'm not so familiar with that guy. So that's a, a, a connection I really appreciate. And thank you for bringing that up. Because I'm, I'm glad as an X-Fan uh, or, or an X-File, um, as you are, that you could uh, link those two things together. Um, I mean, really and truly, this is one of those places where, you know, bringing it home is more about watching the second episode <laughs> as well. Yeah. And, um, and seeing where it goes. I'm trying to recall all the interesting facets of this from working in the Star Trek warehouses, but really and truly, the Samuel Clemens aspects were already taken care of. I'm not entirely sure, but I feel like they sold his particular props in the Christie's auction from 2006. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, we had the Ophidian creatures, or the Davidian creature costumes like we talked about. Right. Um, and then that weird carrying case the guy came in and like dumped those the spirits of these people into the uh the weird the little distro mold um but uh it's hard for a show that is taking place like it's star trek you know 24th century stuff but it's hard for a show that's going back in time to something contemporary like Voyager goes back to 1996, and what did we have from that? Except we did end up with a 29th century um, hollow emitter, and then uh, we had a we had Sarah Silverman's tops from that episode. Inexplicably, where are the pants? Who knows? It, it you know. So you go back and you've got 24th century characters doing things in the. Uh, 19th century and what do you have well nothing really that stuff was all rented all of these costumes they rented them or they had them in the Paramount collection or they made them for the episode somehow this is an expensive thing to do because then this set this is this is this vintage set is not something that uh, necessarily stands all of the time so we're looking at this, like, even then, going into the beginning of the next episode, it's Netflix, so it freezes on the next one, and I'm, I'm, I'm into it, and I'm looking at it, and I'm saying, you know, we're doing a crane shot into this city street type of thing. That's a standing set somewhere. And they come in, and they put down the, the it, it's not pavement, they come down, and they put uh, different street substances all of the time. To make it look like it needs to. I've, I've mulched Harper's Ferry, Virginia before. Uh, and we had to make sure that none of it got down any drains at all. Um, it was a Herculean task. That was one of the most major moments in my career. Uh, getting us out of Harper's Ferry that night. I really appreciate my buddy Andy, who was the lead man on that show. He's a highest, highest quality caliber art director now. Um... Look for him in New York if you're listening from there. And uh, I just, you know, the, the efforts. I'm, I'm sitting here pish-poshing some of the art department, but, like, the, the effort that they put into this is just unbelievable. And um, 
really, it's no diss. I guess that's what I've got, man. I could go on and on, I suppose. But <laughs> I'm just excited to do the next part, and I really hope that you minefielders really enjoyed uh, this. I know, right? I love it. I, love I appreciate it. your dad. <laughs> I do too, man. It it, it feels yeah. better. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, it just makes makes the whole show more age appropriate. Yeah. So yeah. Well, guys, uh, we're we're done for the night. Uh, happy. Yeah, I'm gonna warp away. Happy uh, Sci-Fi Friday. We're so glad you tuned in. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for. Any of the emails you send us and anything you want, just uh, let us know and we'll make it happen. We've got some good things on the horizon. And thank you very much. Uh, this transmission is coming to you and now it's over. <laughs> you got it. Send us out home. Cool.